If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hey, Mark here. I just want to give you a quick heads up for this Batman Forever podcast. Adam and I recorded over Skype, and we had a little bit of technological issues, and Adam does sound occasionally kind of tinny in this podcast. Of course, I sound great, but just know we have great content in here. We talk about Michael Keaton eating sunflower seeds. It's going to be great. So just, I just want to give you a heads up about this. Enjoy the Batman Forever podcast. Let me know what you think about it. Welcome to Movies, Films, and Flicks. I am Mark Hoffmeyer, and joining me is a man who always eats sandwiches before he fights crime. It's Adam, Wombat Man, Clement. Hi, and I know, I resent that. Uh, the fast food line that you're going to be referring to doesn't necessarily imply that he got a sandwich. No, well, what uh, I'm saying is you, though. You are Wombat Man. I understand, and I love sandwiches, but if I'm going through drive through especially as Batman, as I was for three years in my uh, childhood, I, I was a nugget boy. You were a nugget? Well, here's the deal. I picture you, you're Wombat Man. You eat, you meet a sandwich at your house. You're not doing, you're not doing McDonald's tie-ins. You have, hey, Wombat Man, we need you. Because this is a callback to what I call a Claire Foy and Unseen. Uh, mm -hmm. So you're going to go, you're, you're, you're going to make a sandwich, and then you're going to go fight crime. So I have a question for you, Adam. Since okay. you, you always eat sandwiches when you fight crime. I mean, you're just big into sandwiches. What happens if you have to run to a place? Do you eat – what kind of sandwich would you make? You don't want to cramp. <laughs> this sounds very anime, and I don't think this is what you're intended to take it, but I'm now picturing an, uh, a Batman dressed in some, like, schoolgirl anime outfit with toast in his mouth as he's running to, to like, school, and he's, like, late, and he hears the alarm, and, like, <laughs> I don't know. What is um, – what, well, what, is, what does Wombat Man wear? Well, if you're referring to me as uh, Batman when I was a kid, uh, I still have that, actually. I wish I could share it with the 
the beautiful listeners of the pod, but I have this sort of tattered cape and cowl thing. And it was like, think of it as a, um, I'll paint you a picture. It's like a black tinted version of the Adam West uh, getup. And I still have it as, you know, uh, you know, something that was very cherished. And my mom kept it and it's still got like holes and tattered, uh, you know, tears into the cape because I kept getting it stuck in the spokes of my bike at the time. Were you eating sandwiches? No, no. But I imagine if I was, it was probably whatever my mom made, in which case it's PB&J. So if that's if that's the answer you want, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the Wombat Man is a PB&J boy. This is the way I see it. If I got to drive somewhere, I'm going to eat a heavy sandwich because I know I can digest for 30 minutes or so, right? Sure. If I'm got to run somewhere, I'm going to do a quick toast with peanut butter. Okay, but is that a sandwich? That's not a sandwich. Oh, then I'll put another piece of toast on top of it. So it, <laughs> toast times two. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's still a sandwich. It's it's peanut butter in the middle and then toast. I would um, agree. If it's, you know, 20 minutes away... I'm going to do a nice turkey, maybe like a curry turkey from Publix, put it on some bread, a little bit of cheese. That way it's not too heavy, not fully digested, but I could still beat up about 15 henchmen without worrying about it, you know? Yeah, you really can't get away with doing that if you get like a Publix sub in the traditional sense. You don't roll up to Publix and get like a chicken tender sub. Oh, that'd be a mess. It's a mess. I mean, and then everybody would want to have you share with them because it is a big boy. Yeah, you're, if, you're, if you're Batman at a Publix sub grocery store, grocery store at Publix, and you're getting a sub. I, it's an interesting visual. He's just waiting in line for a sub. Mayo. Uh, I mean, I haven't oh, been. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but and I, I mean, the rate they're becoming popular, and they're still becoming like a huge thing outside of whatever uh, regions they they're in. Because I'm in the yeah, and I talk to people about Publix, and I'm like, well, for all I know, they have, like, drive-thrus now, which, of course, would fit in firmly with the 1995 the throwaway line. That, not even throwaway. It's the first line in the movie. Is, uh, well, first is, setup movie. is Alfred really expecting him to eat a sandwich when he drives in the Batmobile? I don't know. Uh, is your butler, I guess? I mean, look, he, he's the butler. He knows Bruce doesn't give two shits about, like, you know, getting what he needs health-wise, which is kind of bizarre because, I mean, Bruce probably knows better. He's Batman, for goddamn sake. He's he's getting what he needs to stay in peak physical shape, but I don't know. I don't... Maybe he just assumes that, like, he'll know better to do it eventually, but I don't know if he, if he assumes that Bruce is going to, like, start chowing down in the actual Batmobile. Of all the Batman who would eat a hamburger that he, Alfred made, it would be Ben Affleck, because he's the burliest. I think Mike Keaton would probably be doing, like, sunflower seeds just to keep his hands busy because he's so neurotic. Right. And in Batman Returns, I think uh, Alfred makes him uh, a fishy swaw, whatever the hell that is. I'm knowing this by, like, audible memory. And he spits it out, and he's like, it's cold. And then Alfred tells him, it's supposed to be cold. <laughs> Perhaps I can get a job back at Windsor Palace. Yeah, he was like, oh, maybe they'll take me back at Buckingham or whatever. Oh, yeah, Buckingham Palace, yeah. And it just made me think, like, I know I know their whole history with, like, McDonald's being real pissy about the Batman Returns, you know, toy launch and the parents' outrage, blah, 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 and how that supposedly weighed heavily on Warner's decision to go with a lighter approach. But you have to, like, it's – there's no way you can avoid it. Like, how much actual influence 
direct or otherwise, did, did fast food have in this movie? Because it is the first thing we're presented with. Like, we get an amazing shot. It's like silhouette. You're, he's lit perfectly. He's got his little pouty mouth up. And that's it. That's the that's right off the bat. We're talking about fast food. See, my brain didn't go to commercialism or, or tie-ins. I just was wondering about him driving with a sandwich in one hand and his hand on the other, like on the wheel. Mm. I mean, I have uh, the Batman animated series Batmobile in my room. I'm looking at it now, and I think most of the Batmobiles do have a wheel that sort of um, caters to one-handed driving. Although if you're Batman, you've got some automated shit in that car. Right. So you could technically stop at a drive-through on the way to fight crime. I mean, if I'm misremembering the, the commercials, I, I believe that's part of the ad for McDonald's back in the day. I know they had their like glass mugs, which I still have, and and all this other fanfare. But part of the ad campaign was very much including that that bit from the movie. Like, can I so you take a sandwich? Because I get a drive-through, and then like cut to whatever the hell. I'm almost positive that's how those ads played out. So how many people die while he's getting drive through? I don't know, but you have to consider that for everything he does besides being on the streets and like doing, you know, scans of the city. I don't know if he's too torn up. Like if you're getting fast food, you're getting it for a number of reasons, right? You're getting it because, well, chief among them, you, you want to get this over with and you want to be quick. So maybe that doesn't weigh as heavily on his conscience if he's staying home and making a sandwich, right? Yeah, he's not going to Morton's and getting a steak burger. Right. He's not sitting at a diner, which I guess Superman has done before, but he wasn't really Superman as Clark Kent. Did you ever hear the bit I used to do? I, I love bits. Did you ever hear the my buddies and I, John and I on the podcast, What he would be Batman or Bane and I would be Batman or Bane and we would just do the two of us at Red Lobster uh, arguing about who would pay the bill? I mean, is it just like a fight over the Cheddar Bay? No. Yeah, and Batman's like, evil always pays. Oh, Batman. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like everybody's got their own Bane, right? Yeah. But what, Bale, did you do Bale or did you do Keaton or who was your Batman? The, the, you know, evil always pays. <laughs> the throaty Batman. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I did the, I did the um, Bale. But okay. I, yeah, but I used to do it with a slight cockneyed accent. <laughs> Bale with a throaty Batman voice and a Cockney accent. Is that what you're saying? I was good back in the day, but I lost it. I can't do it anymore. It's hard on the vocals. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. My, my professional career as a singer was, was really being hurt by my Batman impersonations. It's the price you pay. Yeah. I did quit. So you, you're, uh, you've joined us now. This is your fourth time. You, we did the jerky antics of Michael Myers. We did Go. Halloween and we did Batman returns. So, we yeah, we decided to be really creative and bring you back for Batman Forever. But this is for selfish reasons on my part, because I asked you to do this because I hadn't watched this movie in easily. I mean, when did it come out? Ninety five. See, I thought you were going to say it's because all my episodes are uh, getting all the hits. Oh, no, they're, they're big. They're big. I mean, they're huge right now. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, I your question was about Batman. I'm sorry. I go back to that. Oh, wait, no, wait. My question was, no, so what I was just saying is, this movie, I hadn't seen it in probably 18 years. Mm. 15 to 18 years, easy. And I remembered nothing from it other than that I liked it when I was 13. Okay, and so saw it 13. In the, yeah. That's interesting, and I want to get to that, and I'm glad. And you said you haven't revisited it. You haven't seen it since. No, I have not. And the thing is, I knew when I was watching it at 13, I got the jokes. Like when they showed the... 
the the bat butts and all the the gaudy stuff and i just sat there and i was like oh this movie is just big like it's it's over the top like i kind of got that i just sort of enjoyed it i liked the visuals i liked how just gotham became just a labyrinth of above the ground streets and statues everywhere and it just became this you know german expressionist type vibe mixed with neon and um and and black lights and it was this weird kind of combining of all these different factors where you had bruce talking about you know hey i lost my parents and then you have tommy lee jones overacting then you have jim carrey over overacting and you have nicole kidman i didn't remember how hot she was for batman until i watched it again uh, just going full breath. She's like all breathing in this movie. So did you revisit recently or did has it still been a long time? Oh, no. I just watched it for this podcast when I pitched it to you. Okay, okay. excellent. And so, I'll go for it. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, like there's a lot of conflicting. I mean, I don't even know where to, what noun to give it. Like there's a lot of conflict in this movie. Even the um, sort of dark deco that was established, it's, it's kind of sort of there in a few scenes. It's almost just like, they took some of the architecture from the animated series, which if anybody who's heard my previous uh, pod with you know that I, I adore. But you're right. It is sort of a, a Vegas uh, neo-noir, and it's sort of – I'm not sure it entirely works, but it's still a spectacle. It's still very much a high-concept character on its own, which I appreciate, but it's certainly not my favorite. I mean, it took me – so today when I drove into work, I, I should have taken the train. I don't know why I didn't do it. But it took me an hour and 50 minutes to get to work this morning. and. I was like, well, if I'm stuck in in a parking lot of traffic on 400 going into Atlanta, I'm going to listen to some Batman Forever stuff. So I listened to the Batman Forever, everything wrong with it. I listened to the Batman Forever Honest Trailers. And I listened to another Batman Forever review. And Mm. everything they say has merits. But it seemed like they were were really kind of – it seems too easy to pick on this movie. They're like, oh, who has a grappling hook that long? Oh, who's going to scream, oh, it's acid. Uh, who's going to it seemed like everything like oh the Rorschach the ink blot that is a bat uh, so they were just the... <laughs> that's what they were picking yeah I agree I think that's a little, little too easy low hanging fruit but yeah and it's just people really going at this but this movie I mean so I, I, listen, I also listened to a half hour interview with Joel Schumacher and I learned that you know he designed costumes for Woody Allen yeah yep and I also found out that he brought the movie in ahead of schedule and under budget. Yeah, I think I re- recall the interviewer talking about the Charlie Rose one. Yeah. He, that, I mean, that's just such a bonkers interview, just to the point where he starts defending himself against that one sort one of critic. Thing. Yeah, and it gets a little tense there. But, you know, he's right. He's got points. It's a comic book movie, so on and so forth. But, um yeah, they didn't they didn't love the movie at the time, which is funny because I was eight when that came out, and of course when you're eight, you are you are the target. I I was squarely within that demographic, and like even seeing uh, Nicole Kidman for the first time on, in a movie, I was like, oh, I I like this. I like girls. <laughs> <laughs> like I had a huge crush on her and everything, and you know I didn't I probably didn't have the um, the wherewithal to to get what you did as a 13 year old from it, but I remember being uh, just absolutely obsessed with this movie when it came out in 95, I believe. I had the Disney Adventures magazine with Val on the cover, and I would read all the stuff in the magazines, you know, before the internet, of course, page to page, and just get all the little details and stuff. I was just, I was in love with this movie. And, you know, Jim Carrey, he's, 
he's for me he's kind of the weakest link for me in this movie but he was at the time he was smoking like he was huge so when i was 13 watching him jump all over the place i'm like yeah jim carrey um he's the weakest link because i feel like people tend to dogpile on on tommy lee jones and i don't know if that's necessarily earned or if that was his choice to go the way he did or if it was a joel schumacher contribution but i do think that he's the most wasted potential in this by by far i liked him in this movie i liked him as you know they kept pointing out how bad his traps were sure his traps are bad but it's also a batman movie look at every bond movie look at you know look at austin powers so, i don't know about that i'm gonna hold you to that what exactly was he trying to do at the beginning he was trying to kill batman did he did he go through all this trouble Putting, by the way, this is way up your alley, loading that vault with acid, and then, like, did he need to lift it out with a helicopter? I don't know. Well, like, how much of this was really, like, premeditated to say, okay, we're going to do all this just to kill Batman. We're not going to steal any money, really. I don't care about that. Like, He, he, he has two sides. He has two sides, though. So I think they, instead of making good sides on either way, they compromise and they just go crazy. Are you saying that a criminal mastermind, however conflicted, He's not, he's not a criminal mastermind. He's he's a blunt force trauma guy. He's not he's he he was a DA who went crazy. So a lot of his schemes, at least for me, are not going to be Blofeld esque. They're going to be what's 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 put acid in a uh, safe halfway in, not all the way up to burn them, and then let's pull them away. And his thugs seem to enable him. They, he's around you with yes men. And he has those two women that support both sides of him. Okay, so let's clarify this, because you're talking about Yes Men as luchadors, basically, and it, I believe it's Sugar and Spice are his henchwomen. Yeah, Drew Barrymore. Complete, and Debbie Mazar, yeah, completely over the top and just ridiculous and really just a betrayal of the character in the comics. I, I mean, if you look at something like Arkham Asylum, the graphic novel by Grant Morrison, you know, this is a guy who's completely lost his marbles. He's cowering under tables, pissing himself because he's just so out of his element. He can't think for himself and is completely and wholly reliant on a coin. That may be an extreme, but it's certainly a territory that I'd prefer them have taken with the character besides him aping, in my opinion, at least the Joker. Because he just, there's so many scenes where he's just making weird noises and hamming it up. I love watching Tommy Lee Jones ham it up because nowadays when you hear him on sets or on interviews, he's just rough on everybody. Oh, so, sure. So maybe this was the beginning or the end of him, but I like that he committed. I've never seen a Tommy Lee performance, and I, I, I know what you're saying, but I just think he's just a blunt force guy I, who, who... I can't sanction his buffoonery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hate you. Yes, <laughs> and that's, uh, of course, most of our listeners probably know this, but that's precisely what he told Jim Carrey, according to a Howard Stern interview, I believe. I mean, I would have liked to have just... All right, so this movie, though, I find it, it, it very impressive that he brought it in under budget and ahead of schedule because it doesn't have that vibe of being an ahead of schedule, under budget movie. No, it seems a bit of a like a patchwork at times. And, and I believe he mentions the number on the Rose interview. I think 78 million. Like, was it like 80 million almost? And I'm like... Boy, that's pennies in today's budget. Um, so I do hand it to him for that. It's like 130 maybe, I guess, with inflation, 130, 140. Mm, yeah. uh, I don't think it's quite double yet. So uh, probably 130, maybe 140. I mean, that's, I'd say 130. I mean, that's really not much. 
I suppose not, especially for a budget, or excuse me, a production like Batman, which I think has been Warner Brothers. It was Warner Brothers cash cow for a long time, and it, it was for another time with the Nolan era, and I don't know, who knows. But uh, yeah, at the time, I, it was a smaller investment, I think. And I, I don't know. It's just so. And Schumacher did he did get mad? And what he said was, he's like, what what is he comparing it to? Potemkin. <laughs> that was a little extreme. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, they don't like your movie because it's not the battleship Potemkin. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, I mean that that is an easy out. Uh, but just watching this movie though, it 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 has a very weird personality. It, it the plot it's, is out there. I don't know for some reason though the whole vibe. It has a – it's quite uneven, but the, the vibe overall when you watch it, uh, and right. it's just – it's so weird that it's almost enjoyable to me. That's fair, and I think that's why most kids like myself at the time probably didn't give two shits about the, you know, faults and cracks. But it, you do have to remember even with all that sort of um, joy that you might get from it. Now I'm Marie Kondo, but the joy that you do get from it, it still has some really yeah, inexplicable – inexplicable wacky moments i mean how many memes have come from this movie you remember uh like okay um the laundry you know martial arts bit oh my gosh and 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 what else oh the thumbs up in the bat plane and just i mean what else was there oh uh, oh, course and oh um the smile he gives after chase admits her love for bruce like this movie is full of just like what? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? I do. Uh, I do have a question. Extra, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Every, every extra ever. If you watch this, you went. You just watch the movie. Any extra in this movie is either like having a complete meltdown, orgasm, or just just shouting, just like random word. <laughs> uh, the guy who sees Batman crash through the ceiling. I I just love that part. It's Batman. Right? No, it's very specific. Like as a kid, you see Batman, and you're like, "Oh, that's sick, that's cool." But now, as an adult, I watch that scene. And it's like this is this is this is my impression of the guy who sees Batman not use a door like a regular person. Hey, Batman! <laughs> Literally, what he does, he's pointing too, as if we can't see. And Chase, of course, has her like turnaround dramatic moment. But like, I don't know, just everybody in the. Every extra in this movie was just told, okay, do you see what Jim Carrey's doing? Do you see what Tommy Lee Jones is doing? Do that. Yeah, I mean, it was a heightened aesthetic, for sure. Uh, I think that's an appropriate adjective is heightened, for sure. Uh, John Favreau had a cameo in this movie. No way. What yeah. is he? When they're going into the Joker's uh, – not the Joker's. When they're going into the Riddler, Jim Carrey's office in the beginning, he's one of the suits with no uh, Val Kilmer. Yeah, I paused. I was like, that's, that's John Favreau. And then – I have another question, an earnest question I want to ask you. Does Chase Meridian, does she not know that bats aren't rodents? Does she think that bats are rodents? So you're saying, I think if I'm understanding you correctly, the theory is that she may have been just like negging Batman, basically, which is to say, like, have that playful banter and wait to be corrected. Or are you saying, like, she genuinely didn't know? I mean... I don't know. I, I get the sense that she was just like, oh, she's a psychologist or whatever. She wouldn't know this area of science. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think she – I mean, I, people got to know that bats aren't rodents, right? I don't think so. I think it's a pretty common misconception. What? You're telling me that everybody's going around saying, oh, bats are definitely not rodents? Like, if you look at them, 
they kind of look like flying rats. Wait, people are going around saying that bats are rodents? Look, I'm not going to be the guy who knows what the word on the street is. Okay, well, but... Need, I need to get you with a microphone out on the streets recording this for our next podcast and asking people. I don't know if this is what I want to do with my time in New York City. Adam <laughs> at, at, on the streets. Hey, guys. Uh, do you remember in the Batman Forever? Yeah. Uh, the part where Dr. Chase Marie asks Batman, blah, blah, blah. No, I don't know. Um, Please yeah, do I, this. I want to hear this now. Uh, uh, also... They steal sound effects, I believe, from Ernest Saves Christmas. Oh, no, Ernest uh, goes to jail in this movie. When the guy, when it, one of the thugs gets electrocuted, he goes, rawr, 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 rawr. that's the same noise, and Ernest goes to jail. I like that you so accurately um, emulated that noise, because I just I can just put my finger over my mouth, and, go, blah, 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 and that's <laughs> what they did. And you're right, because those movies are just full of, like, 90s zoink sound effects. <laughs> And it just feels out of place even for a Batman movie. It was really weird. And I don't – I should know this. It was, was it – no, it wasn't – I can't remember who did the score. I certainly know who was on the soundtrack, which we'll get to in a bit. But the score is – you know, it has its differences and it has a few motifs that are okay. But it is just wackadoo, like just the bipolar uh, score if I ever heard one. But that's what this movie is really yeah. to me. This is not – Reflective this is, of the movie, but still. This is a – very weird movie. This is a this is not a coherent single through line film. This thing's this is like yeah. a pin, the pinball machine of movie. I think the best excuse slash defense for that point is that this movie, believe it or not, and you probably know this, does have it does have an extended sort of story that was cut, and it had a lot to do with the title. In fact. And I would say to your point, this does suffer from an identity crisis, which is precisely what the movie was supposed to be about. Um, a lot of people don't really maybe not know this. The movie wasn't just called Batman Forever because of Batman Forever or whatever. Like I couldn't think of another sequel name like Batman 3. This movie had a lot to do with obviously Bruce reminiscing about his past and asking himself why he still does this. And there is a pretty uh, earnest and dramatic slash extremely goofy bit that you can actually find pretty easily online, but the subplot is him sort of asking why he does this, and he encounters a bat in the cave, and at some point it, he has a come-to-Jesus moment where he reveals he will, in fact, be Batman forever. And this thesis is kind of wasted because obviously it was cut out, but there are hints of it, again, when he sort of talks to Enigma at the end, when he defeats him, he sort of sells him the same thing that he comes to uh, realize in the Batcave, but you can definitely find it online. Um, it, it does involve a giant, a, literally a giant bat, and he's just sort of like staring it down, and it's kind of goofy in that way. But I do feel like um, that, that thread of story would have probably been better included uh, had they kept it. Because he doesn't stay with Meridian at the end, right? So he's kind of like, I'm choosing Batman. It is and it isn't. I think they took the uh, – well, I think they chickened out on the end because it's, it's a very Vicky Vale bit, right? Yeah. It's like – don't stay out too late. Like, oh, he's going home to hit that, but Batman <laughs> first, right? Yeah. <laughs> for Chase. Um, I mean, she's a busy lady. You know, she probably doesn't have time for that, so she's probably happy with it. Who is she seeing at that late of night if she's a psychiatrist? 
what is she doing playing with her malaysian dream dolls no 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 no. she's not she's she's probably waiting for batman and we know how she feels about batman she 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 loves but uh, so all three of these things i listened today just kept selling, selling the sound effects of nicole kibben with uh, <laughs> batman but uh I do want to say one great positive thing about this movie is I'm pretty sure that it funded the neon and blacklight industry for about four years between this and Batman and Robin. Yeah, I think going back to like that era and hell, even still, like if you go to into um, if you go into a Spencer's Gifts, like it's pretty much still like Batman forever themed. <laughs> That's funny. Like, the lava lamps and like the little like electric black light setups. It's like yeah, this is this is Batman forever. Oh, that's funny. All right, and then, um, so, let's see, where are we at here? Oh, I do like the line, the back signal is not a beeper. I like that she's just paging Batman, Chase Meridian. Yeah, and never mind the fact that that phrase is already horrendously outdated. Like, talk yeah, that's about bad. a reference that's, like, completely useless now in any script. But And they said chicks dig the car, and I'm like, oh, brother. I mean, yeah, he's just being, like, playful, like, oh, Batman's not such a sad sack piece of shit. All the time, oh, he has a sense of humor. Um, and actually, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a forgettable sin, but I loved Val in the role. I thought he was a wonderful Bruce Wayne. Um, I thought he looked the part. He had the voice. And that's something that we overlook because we're talking about favorite Batmans. I think uh, Keaton will always be number one for me just for many reasons, variety of reasons. But here and now, I would say that for my money, looks-wise and voice, Val was great. Oh, no, I, I liked him, too. People made fun of his mouth being open a lot, but it's probably hard to breathe in that costume, and he was trying to do a pouty thing, oh, yeah. probably. I don't understand the point of that. Like, why do you want him to have his mouth closed the whole time? He's tired. That suit probably weighs a lot and probably is very hot. Um, yeah, and it's actually kind of funny, because now I'm thinking about <laughs> the way Val Kilmer sounds now, which I shouldn't make fun of, because he's had a lot of hardships. But if you've heard his voice now, it's definitely nowhere near as um, as it sounded back then. Um, and the poor guy has been through the ringer, but... He actually was dubbed, I think we might have talked about this at one point, in The Snowman, and it's wild because it's not his voice at all when he's on, on screen. It's somebody else they called in to do his voice. And even then, I'm like, this this fucking goofy as shit. The Snowman, I don't know how that ended up bad. You have the guy who directed Let the Right One In and Fastbender, Fastbender then you have, uh, what, Mission Impossible, uh, Rebecca oh, Ferguson. A ton of people on that, and J.K. Simmons. We're not going to get on that tangent, but I'm going to tell you right now, I looked into that because it was wild to me, too. They ran out of time. They yep. ran out of time. Ran out of time. Yep. Thomas Shoemaker did what she could, but at any rate. And you know, I read yeah. those books, too. I, I've read that book. Okay, can you, I'm not going to divulge too much on this because who knows who's listening and wants to actually see it, but can we talk about the fact that the hero's name is Harry Hole? Holy, holy, holy. I'm sorry, it was Harry Hole on the movie. Uh, I, I, I've always pronounced it Harry Holy. I can, well, but it's Norwegian too, so it's not. Okay. So on paper, it definitely reads Harry Hole to me. Oh, it does, yeah, for sure. But I could, I, I always just read it as Harry Holy. All yeah. right, well, they have a very good sense of humor over there. I'll give them that. But Jesus <laughs> Christ, how was that your your pro tag? Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know that movie. Do you think Fassbender would be a good Batman? <sighs> That's interesting because I, I think he could have been. I don't know if I like. Of him at his current age for it and he's definitely got a look and i would recommend him for other roles maybe even a bond at some point but i eh, eh, no eh, eh, nah i mean i think if he had a window opportunity that probably passed after watching the bodyguard i think richard madden should be bond yeah that's what i keep hearing everybody's all about him and i'm curious as to who the next 
Batman will be. I mean, that with Matt Reeves' project, who knows where that'll go. Well, who does but, Matt Reeves hire normally? He has, what, Franco? Yeah, watch, it'll be Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. <laughs> <laughs> CGI. Um, and he'll probably fill it, too. But, yeah, even for 95 and the time and all that, I, I still think the Val's performance, uh, it carries. It, it, it stands up. Um, and and even even uh, I'll, I'll go there. Even Chris O'Donnell does okay in that role, despite being too old. Because no teenager looks like that. How old is he? Like, okay, he can ride a motorcycle. He's at least what sixteen, I guess. Yeah. But there's no way that kid needs kid. There's no way he needs like an adult to adopt him. That doesn't make any sense. He's, any he's eighteen. He's easily like he, he's eighteen. He's got to be. Maybe Batman was just like, hey, man, I'll take you under my wing. Because we don't know his age in the movie. It's just sort of implied, right? Like, Commissioner is like, he's got no one else. Somebody needs to take him in. Bullshit. That kid's over, like, 20. I mean, he'd be fine. He'd do another circus. Aside from the morning, I guess. But I do think that – I do like that the Graysons were straight-up heroes. I mean, they they really took it to the gang. I mean, they died, but they they saved a lot of lives. Yeah. I like that scene. After after we got gratuitous close-ups of them in action in the air, and I'm just like, that's not even the actors. Those are definitely stunt people, whatever. Yeah. But you're right. That scene of all the things to nitpick in the movie, I do think the sort of shot where he he you know finds his parents on the floor is it's it's well done. Um, but that kind of movie and that tone, and I I appreciated that. I mean, they went they like were diving after gun people with guns. Like they risked their lives to save thousands. Yeah. No, I like that scene. I do think that's weird when Val just jumps down on the floor and starts uh, sidekicking henchmen. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I mean, I guess to his credit, he did try to save At the circus. At the circus, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was throwing caution to the wind, which I don't know if I agree with as a character decision on Batman's part. I think he takes it a bit more seriously, but who knows? I think whatever, in the moment it worked. I do um, have to say that Val throws a sick sidekick. Yeah. It's on par yeah. with Dolph Lundgren's front kick. I mean, that's that's another thing because when the the part I was talking about with the guy going Man, Batman, yeah. uh, Batman does one of those. There's a moment in it where he sort of they try to emulate very clearly the Indiana Jones, um, where he's a lost Ark moment with oh. Indy and the swordsman in that way that this guy's like flexing and Batman just sort of kicks him in the face and walks away. You know, even as a kid. You look at that scene, it's very obvious that it's not Val Kilmer. So I, I don't want to give Val too much credit as much as I do enjoy his performance, but I don't think that was his doing, unfortunately. No, but when he was in his suit and tux, I watched him, and he did throw a sidekick. All right. All right. I'll give him that then. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's not good with front kicks. Maybe he's good with sidekicks. I would think that it would be easier to do a front kick, but what do I know? That I'm, suit really restrictive. I feel like a front kick you could really have a chance of pulling out, blowing out your hammy. A sidekick, you have more of a base. Mm. And that's more probably hips and uh, a little bit more flexibility. You know what I mean? I mean, I can't do any of that. So I <laughs> Adam on the street asking questions and throwing front kicks. Uh, you want to see me do a front kick? <laughs> I do think that. You know, I do have a note in here, and I was making fun of her early, but I thought Val and Nicole were good together. I mean, they just basically got to breathe at each other. But you could buy the, that they both were, like, into each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, they're both very attractive people. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Also, one thing I was kind of resented 
um, and I'm just talking about like characters from page to film. Like I already talked about sort of the Tommy Lee Jones decision, which I still don't agree with. I think was way too heavy. Um, the one thing that I think the first three movies, well, okay, four, all the all the Burton Schumacher movies really failed to do was tap into the Commissioner Gordon character. And it's fine that they wanted to minimize it. It's fine that they didn't want to make it like a big bromance with him and Batman. It's, okay, fine. But why did they need to make him such like a bumbling idiot? He was pretty much on par with the Adam West, you know, uh, Commissioner Gordon Chief O'Hara sort of bumbling oh, well, they don't want to handle their own crime. And this is like, let's let Batman just do our job for us. And, you know, even when he, okay, even in the beginning, right, when um, Nigma takes care of his boss and they're sort of, you know, reviewing that surveillance footage, there's there's like, they're looking over the, the evidence and he goes, yep, definitely suicide. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> sort of like, okay, even if it was suicide, like what commissioner of the city says that like even the part when they put the you know bat signal in the sky and they're waiting for batman to show up and he busts through the bat signal and it evaporates and i don't even know how that happens but he gives the thumbs up and he's like cheering his head off he's foaming at the mouth and he doesn't have to do anything he shakes the cop's hand and is like, right, time to go to bed <laughs> like who, who is this guy he's the worst commissioner ever i mean crime isn't good and I don't think it's helping his police force by letting Batman take it care of everything. No, I mean I guess he was a little more, he was a little bit better in returns. He's he thanked Batman for saving the day, and he was like telling them not to open fire on him in Batman Returns when he was framed. But I feel like even in in especially in Batman and Robin, which this isn't about, but like he just comes off as like I don't know, just this old clueless buffoon. His constituents love him. Yeah, well, you must see other good tender. I don't know. You also, right. Sorry, go on. Oh, no, go for it. Oh, I was going to say, you mentioned earlier, like, listening to stuff uh, in the car or whatever, and I was like, oh, the, the first mistake you made, you weren't listening to the Batman Forever soundtrack, the single greatest thing to come out of this movie. Oh, no, I, I've been Spotifying it. I had to get it on vinyl from uh, Urban Outfitters, who, who put it out as an exclusive, and man... It still slaps. Does it? It does, and it's not just Seal. It's Seal's all you needed. Seal's all you needed, but it has U2, and it has Massive Attack, and Nick Cave, and The Flaming Lips. And Offspring, and, right? And, well, I, the Offspring one I'm, like, not crazy about, but I think they play that for a fleeting moment during the neon, like, gang punk yeah. bit. But yeah, like, the soundtrack is great. I'm, look, I'm looking here, too. They had Method Man, The Riddler. Yeah, yeah, and PJ Harvey, I think. Yeah, this is a, yeah, PJ, oh, PJ Harvey. Yeah, and Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. I like that song. It's a little goofy, but I, I think it was an appropriate song for um, Batman Forever. I mean, just, you know, Flaming Lips, Massive Attack. This is a Nick Kate, like, that's a, that's pretty good. And I don't want to say that it was the first of its kind. I'm, I'm sure I'm neglecting something, but it really does feel like sort of the, and maybe this is for worse, one of the first few, like, superhero soundtracks, I put together, like, a curation, right, of, like, popular artists. Because you didn't get that, obviously, in the first two movies for Batman, which, thank God we didn't. Because I know Prince put out a conceptual album that really wasn't, like, loved by Warners. So this does feel like one of the first few uh, superhero soundtracks that sort of went on to set the stage for, like, oh, Daredevil's going to have Evanescence and all these, like, other bands. Godzilla is going to have uh, Wallflowers and Puff Daddy. 
yeah, stuff like that. Like, I don't want to say that it defined that era, but it definitely feels like one of the first two to really, like, get a lot of attention for just throwing a bunch of popular acts on a, you know, an album that may or may not have anything to do with the movie. Kiss from a Rose won three Grammys, Best Male Pop Vocal, Record of the Year, and Song of the Year. As far as I'm concerned, the Batman Forever soundtrack deserves to win Album of the Year every year. I'm using the Academy Awards. It's just like <laughs> the award is, and I'm waiting for it every year. The Batman Forever soundtrack. Like your fingers are just. It's like me with Deep Blue Sea winning Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Yes, retroactive Come- awards should be a thing. I think just because they had a one one year window of opportunity, it should not discredit them from uh, future awards. We need to bring back uh, Warren Beatty and and Faye Dunaway to. Yeah, I'll get it right. I'll sneak in Deep Blue Sea and see what happens. I could do it. Oh, totally. Right, so how about this? Let's 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 go put together some big green envelopes with question marks on it. We'll sneak Deep Blue Sea in there. We'll find a way to get to the Academy. And when we do that, we'll uh, come back and we'll talk more Batman Forever. Welcome back to movies, films, and flicks. And I just have a quick observation for you, Adam. When I was listening to all those clips today about Batman Forever, people were wondering why Batman just just checked those envelopes or fingerprints because the Riddler was using his – he wasn't using – his fingerprints were on everything. And it's interesting because, like, doesn't he as a character typically use gloves? I believe – I'm going by comic references here, and I think he wears gloves on the whole. But you're right. I think I think when he was planting those uh, envelopes, he was definitely not taking the care he should have, which I don't know if he knows this about Bruce Wayne. I guess he wouldn't. Maybe he didn't at that point. I can't remember the chronology of the movie, but Batman's a, a detective. He doesn't even need to be the greatest detective. Detective's going to use fingerprint, <laughs> whatever. So, do you think Alfred gives out mini candies or large candies when trick or treaters come to their home? I think if Alfred doesn't give out large candies and instead gives out fun size, he deserves what he gets. Fun size, what? I think he deserves what he gets if he if he gives out the fun size because you're living in Wayne Manor. You're going to tell me that they're going to go cheap on candy. Yeah, so he's handing out. That's why those kids go there. They walk a very long distance. Yeah, and that's also why he got clubbed. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. And, and then awkwardly moves the tray so they can go through the door. But yeah, it's also how who falls for that? He go twerk or tweet? Like, come on. I mean, Alfred's a nice guy. He he wasn't expecting that. Clearly not. But like, how gullible do you need to be? I mean, he does design weapons for a living, right? And he he's always on the radio with Batman, so he's got to have a fear, like. He's got to know there's crime out there in his house, and you think they might have a better security system. Yeah, that's another thing. Never mind the door, but let's talk about the fact that uh, when Dick comes – I don't even feel like calling Robin. When Dick comes across the cave, which I guess he needed to do aerial acrobatics just to do before the door closed, uh, all it does is say intruder alert, intruder alert. It doesn't really do anything. In fact, it – Makes it very easy. The computers are all like, "Welcome, sir," and the and the and the car spins up, and it's like, "Hey, ready to ready to go for a ride?" Like, it does nothing to restrict him from, you know, getting into the tech or knowing that oh, maybe this is Batman's cave. Like, I don't understand. Like, I guess it's just to say, "Hey, Bruce, get to the fucking cave before you know this guy leaves alive." But it does seem like the security system is a little bit ass backwards. 
I was worried a little bit about Gotham because he does take that out for a ride and he comes across the Blacklight gang and they're about yeah. to, you know, they're about to assault a woman and there's a lot of them. There are a lot of Blacklight gang members. Did you count? I couldn't, I can't remember, but it does seem like there were at least more than like 12 or 13. Oh no, there's, there's like 60. What? I guarantee it. Then I guess start talking about like the budget they put on like glow-in-the-dark paint. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, I think they funded that that thing. But Commissioner Gordon, he's got to know. There's task forces who know about Blacklight Gang, right? Like they're they're there's a lot of them. Like, Hold on, I think you accidentally stumbled upon a bit of a, a conundrum. We're calling them a lot of things. We're calling them the glow in the dark paint guys, the Blacklight Gang. You tell me, does that need a blacklight to activate, or is it simply glow in the dark? Because if it's blacklight enabled. We're talking about these losers hanging out in a back alley that is rigged with black lights. That's what I think. And ergo, anywhere else they go outside of that alleyway or what have you would render their paint completely moot. I'm hoping for the sake of practicality that it's simply like, I don't know, like a day glow type paint. And I'm not familiar enough with it to know, but it just seems like, yeah, the, the theatrics and the hoops they go to to achieve them seem a little bit misguided. Is there day glow paint? I don't know. It seems like something that's a thing. I, I'm pretty sure they use black lights to get that effect. What a bunch of losers. I mean, I, I mean, they got, that's interesting. So when they're not in the black lights, then that means they kind of look normal? I guess, but that's I think smart then. That's smart, right? Right. Well, well, you're going for one of two things, right? If you're completely dark and black, you obviously want to be concealed by the shadows. But if you're walking around like a damn clown like they are, like you're trying to intimidate. I guess. And it makes me think they also are in Batman and Robin because they have a small bit where I think they attack Bane and they throw some like equally glow in the dark chains around him. And he makes quick work of them, of course, but they're in that movie for a hot minute. So they help out uh, or does is Bane let loose on them? Yeah, he kicks their shit. He, he messes their shit up. But my point is the, apparently Commissioner Gordon is so bad at this, like, I guess Batman by effect that these guys are still running rampant in that movie. But I, I don't know. I guess they're not at the top of the FBI's most wanted list. These guys must be, like, real small time. It's lawless where they're at, though. Yes. But, uh, like, what is their, what's their endgame, right? They're, like, stealing chicks off the street and being like, ooh, what are we going to do with this girl? Ooh. I mean, they're very cartoony villains, but I think they're bad news. They got sticks and they know karate. Also, Robin, not Robin yet, Dick was kind of holding his own, sort of. Yeah. Against all of them. And if you're getting your shit ruined by Dick pre-Robin, like, eh, it might be time to go home. Yeah. I, I Also, I, I was watching this movie, and the henchmen's guns, Tommy Lee henchmen, Tommy Lee henchmen, Tommy Lee Jones' henchmen. <laughs> the Tommy guns! The Tommy guns! Oh, yeah. The Tommy Mash, eh? Bugs, eh? Uh, so all those guns had neon in them. The guitars and drums had neon on them. That's I mean, right. They did. And they had those red coils. I mean, there is... There's neon everywhere. So this, the good thing is, this, the good and bad thing is that this made a lot of money for pro, uh, art department. The bad news is that they couldn't, I don't think they could be really reused. No, and I'm wondering if there was any thought put into like, oh, this gun is pretty violent. Maybe we make this Tommy gun a little more kid-friendly by putting a red coil of neon light in it. I don't know. Like, there's, there's no other purpose. Like, you wouldn't want Batman to say, oh, I can see your Tommy gun now because it's glowing in the fucking dark. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know what the thought process was in their part. 
like clearly they're wearing luchador masks for theatricality, but I also don't see why that has to extend to their guns. I mean, they they're just they remind me of um you know who would be a great gang? It would be the two faced Tommy guns and the the ninjas from Mortal Kombat that work for Shang Sun and Goro. They're a bunch of bro ninjas too. So I would Are like this are you counting Reptile, Scorpion, and Sub-Zero? Oh, well, not really. I'm counting the Bro Ninjas okay. that were watching the fights, and like, Raiden punches one of the Bro Ninjas in the arm. I would love to see those two guys rolling together. Hmm. I don't think the Neon crew would join up with them, because they, they just seem more, you know, s- small oh, stakes. But I would yeah. love to see them team up. What do you think? I guess that's the next movie. That's where we tap our next our next plot. Batman Mortal Kombat? Direct, yeah. Directed it, by Paul of, Anderson? That kind of already happened, uh, didn't it? it didn't, didn't Mortal Kombat... Well, Ed Boon, who does Mortal Kombat, made a... It was the Injustice Games, I think. Yeah, so there was already a sort of mild crossover. Actually, they did uh, a more obvious Mortal Kombat DC Universe crossover at some point. So that kind of sort of in some canon exists. Oh, wow. I didn't know I about that. Had, I don't think it had any blood in it, though. That was the big commission. They made, like, oh, if we're going to use DC characters in this Mortal Kombat game, let's not, like, you know, let Batman shit get ruined too hard. That's since changed, I think, because now the Injustice games, which NetherRealm Studios make, that's Ed Boon's company who did Mortal Kombat. They're a little more violent now, but I think the first time they started out, I don't remember the name of the game. I should know this. Yeah, there was, like, a very obvious... DC Universe uh, and um, Mortal Kombat crossover. Oh my goodness. I could be misremembering that, but I'm almost positive that's a thing. Are you making this up? I hope not, because uh, that's going to be real embarrassing, but uh, I'm almost positive that the first time they dipped their toe in that, that's what they did. I'm trying to think of the name of it, and I don't want to click. I do want to say, though, while you're researching, that Val Kilmer's wristwatch that showed faces is very ahead of its time. Yeah, that was actually pretty cool, and it didn't look like a dorky-ass Apple watch either. And I also, though, I just like the scale of everything in this movie. So the finale takes place in this massive structure that takes, that lifts off the ground for no reason. And was it built by Joker, that massive thing? Those tunnels? The labyrinth? Did he build Uh, that? You're talking about the Riddler? Yeah, Uh, the Riddler. So... I think it's actually, I can't believe I remember this. It's, I think it's called Claw Island. Oh. <laughs> I think I remember this because I used to buy the trading cards for this stupid movie. And yeah, uh, and by the way, why in the flip is he calling his product the box? It's it's a cone. <laughs> um, People are really um, losing it about that too. Yeah. Anyways, I think it's called Claw Island. And yeah, you have to wonder like how much of that came about from contractors or what. I mean, he has a lot of money. I guess he stole like a bunch of credit cards because he used his brain drain box, which apparently nobody counted as fraud and canceled the cards. But in his grand scheme, yeah, isn't his end game just to be like super smart and have access to everybody's finances or whatever? But to build that. I believe that would take a year to build. Mm. And then, yeah. and at the end, Batman just has to throw something at the 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 box, and it all ends. That again, a, a very strange moment because he's got this new hot suit, right? They had to pump out new toys, so they gave him a sonar suit, which at the time I loved. That that was the coolest thing ever. Now I think it's tacky as shit. But at any rate, before he asks his pithy little riddle, right, setting him up for the grand like you know death stroke. He activates the sonar, which I guess is to coincide with his riddle, right, about being blind as a bat. How are you needing a sonar to hit a giant glowing, like, uh, whatever the hell that was? Like, you don't need that. You have eyes. 
throw your batarang. You'll be okay. Yes. It just seemed like it was entirely earned. Uh, could, but by the way, I he, did look okay. it up. Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe is totally a thing. And I was right. I'm not crazy. It came out in 2008. Oh, wow. So I, I just I just pulled a random thing, and then you backed it up. Look at that teamwork. Yes, yes. You're welcome. Now, did you like the team-up between Two-Face and the Riddler? Like, the moment where uh, Riddler's like, hey, show me how to punch a guy, and Two-Face knocks somebody out, then the Riddler just hurts his hand? Did you like their dynamic together? Absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, just that scene in general, I'm going to talk about another one, but that scene in general, like, okay, I know it's for comedic effect, and it has its value or whatever, but why am I missing? I'm missing something. Why is that cop standing there like a mannequin? He's standing like a mannequin. He's not restrained. Is he staring off into space? Is he just like, I don't know. What justification does he have to like not be fighting well, back? He doesn't want to die. I'm sorry. That guy's a chump. He deserved every bit of it. He got <laughs> no, that was bullshit. And it made me think of the other scene where they're on the couch going through Bruce's mind. Like, Oh, this is Batman. What, what is this like relationship suddenly with Tommy Lee Jones is the two face and the Riddler just like gabbing with each other and like, laughing and having a grand old time like they just found out bruce is batman i don't know i feel like there's a lot of ways they could have played that but it just plays like a um i don't know it plays like a like an andy cohen talk show or something uh and then what was i i do like i know i know where I'm, I'm moving back in in time here but i did like what do you think about the chase scene with the grappling hook where the batmobile i like when the batmobile turns sideways and oh. misses the miss dodges the missile i thought that was a neat little batmobile gag that was fine. Uh, I think, yeah, the chase scene is okay. It's it's not the best, but I think most people probably remember the completely buck wild anchor uh, being used to hoist up the Batmobile and drive up against the wall. Like that just seemed like okay. How many other things can we do with the Batmobile? We've done this. We've done that. It can turn 360. It can take corners super well. Well, it can't fly necessarily. We have a bat plane for it. So what can we make it? do ooh, let's uh let's make it go up a wall that somehow seems more implausible than the scene of batman returns right when penguin takes over the batmobile and it turns into some bat missile which i think is sick as shit i think that scene is awesome but i guess a lot of people died in that fireball right i guess you and see then, it up, but i don't i guess it's like just henchmen right what did he do when he hit the top of the building oh my gosh I can't believe I've never thought of that. Like, okay, so let's let's look at this from a like physics standpoint because the anchor goes against the wall, right? It's not yeah. going above it because what what I, how does that happen? So it's in the wall. I guess if you're Batman and you're hoping you're going so fast up the wall that you can disengage the hook and just keep going on the top, but I then, guess. But then you hook. probably can't drive down. So did he have to take the bat plane to get the Batmobile from the top I, of the building? I, I, it's very obvious the way they cut it. Like, well, we use this stunt. We can't very well continue this sequence because we're kind of fucked. Because if uh, you drive to the top of the Sears Tower, you're not going far. No. And they also, like, drove on buildings and stuff in Batman and Robin. But I, I don't know. It wasn't the same thing. I, it still works, though. I didn't even think about that until now. I guess just for me, the whole movie's so absurd that I just sort of rolled with it. Does that make sense? I, I didn't have... I didn't look at it with any pessimism while watching it because I just got it as it was. Yeah, and I don't think it allows you to really have any moment of, like, lucid clarity. Because, it just, again, just beat for beat, it's so off its meds. Yeah, Ro uh, Roger Ebert was talking about it, and he just said, there's really not much plot. It just sort of goes from set piece to set piece, and I enjoyed it. 
Uh, he just, he, he's like, it's, it's off its rockers. And he was kind of making fun of it a little bit, but he's like, I just enjoyed it. He's just, it was a fun summer blockbuster. I didn't really care. Like, I don't want to break it down, but I still enjoyed yeah, it. I think that's, I think that's fair. So he liked it. Um, yeah, I give it two and a half out of four. That's, that's fair, I think. So, I mean, did you, uh, and then I guess we're kind of making our way towards the end. Uh, did you, what did you think about the end with the dropping Nicole Kidman? And oh, another thing I wondered is how did the, so Nicole Kidman and Robin drop and Batman saves both of them, but they're probably a quarter mile down this tunnel, easily a quarter mile. Sure. And then two faces down there a minute later. I noticed that too. And I don't understand. There's no elevator. There's an elevator. That's, let's pretend like that's the most convenient logical explanation. Yeah, there, there wasn't one. There wasn't. Yeah. So he must have – that's why I love it. And then also Batman kills Two-Face. He does. And everyone complains about Batman Returns, but Batman just – I mean, he kind of had to because Two-Face knew who he was. So you had to get uh, him out of there. The reason he did it, he's like, uh, I know Dick wants him dead, but I just really need to get this guy off my ass because he knows my identity. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think so. You can't have him around. Also, what about the henchmen who live? Were, oh, you mean the henchwomen? You mean Sugar and Spice? Yeah, and then the henchmen. They know who that, that Val Kilmer is, or Bruce you know Bruce Wayne is Batman. Do they, though? Were they made privy to that information? I don't know if, if Two-Face is the kind of villain that sends out a memo to his thugs and is like, guys, just heads up, you know, our target, this guy we're chasing, Batman, that's it's Bruce Wayne. So just like, you know, do with that information what you will. What, Keep it in a circle. What do, what do Sugar and Spice do? They don't do anything. They live in their stupid lair, and apparently if, like, one needs to grab something on the other side of the room, they're not allowed to because they're very sequestered, like, completely equally. Like his face, by the way, which does not make any sense. If you get splashed in the face with acid, pretty sure acid's not discriminatory. It's not going to take a fine line around the, like, center of your face. Also, in the courtroom, uh, they had about three cameras filming it, which is pretty funny. But uh, like a courtroom drama, there was like more cameras than the OJ one got. But I do think they were pretty good cooks. Like they made some interesting meals for Two Face, so they have culinary talent. I guess that's the answer to your question. They're just like cooking meals for him all day. And Drew Barrymore did trick Val Kilmer. She just took the thing out and then she added another one. And Mm -hmm. Batman fell for that pretty easily. But I mean, she she did her job. A year later, she was in Scream. (laughs) Yeah, she was. That was just. Right after that Why movie. Why did Drew Barrymore do this movie? Because she she wasn't pretty big actress at the time. Mm, I mean, you gotta consider, like, especially hot off Batman Returns, like, these movies were no longer, like, well, I don't wanna say no longer, but at the time they weren't seen as, like, what they are today, maybe. And even that's not even true. Like, A list actors are doing superhero movies. I think just the thrill of being in a Batman movie was enough for people. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's just such a weird. I don't know. Just watch it. I did watch it again. It did put a smile on my face, though, man. This movie, I think if you just sit there and let it wash over you, it's t- if you put it on and vacuum the house, it's totally fine. And it does fall apart under scrutiny. Sure. But there's, I mean, the, the whole thing would. So there's almost no point to, you, you know what I mean? The whole movie could collapse. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those movies that I think you fall squarely on the love or hate side. And I think most people are pretty forgiving of it, maybe. Or I think, that's, I think those are the two camps, right? You're either forgiving of this movie because of what came after Right, with Batman and Robin, or you tend to be one of those normies who's like, oh, those two movies were really bad because they're the same, and uh, you sort of mix up, you know, 
those two because it, it is somewhat easy to do. I mean, they both have Robin. They're both by Schumacher. They're both Neon Nightmares, and I get that. But I'm in the camp that tends to be a bit more forgiving of it because you're it isn't it isn't Batman and Robin. I mean, if Batman Forever turns things up to eleven, Batman and Robin turns things up to you know fifteen. Oh no, eighteen. What letter is that, <laughs> Mister E, Mister E Enigma? Uh, yes. Uh, um, Master Riddler. Now, I do love, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes drama on this, and in this, I read an interview with uh, Schumacher, and he said Val Kilmer was being irrational and ballistic with the first assistant director, the cameraman, the costume people. He was rude and inappropriate. He was childish and impossible. I was forced to tell him that this would not be tolerated for one more second. Then we had two weeks where he did not speak to me, but it was bliss. That's, That's crazy. Okay. And then because he talked about in that Charlie Rose interview that he wanted him for Batman and he was out of the option out of the equation before he, he came on yeah. and he wanted him because of Tombstone that's what is like hilarious to me yeah he loved him in Tombstone and then also he said Jim Carrey was a gentleman he said Jim Carrey trained with hat people cane people everything oh, everything that Jim Carrey could train on in this movie except for typing he trained uh perfectly it shows too I mean he's just so enthusiastic about it and it's kind of a bummer, too, because I think he gets – I mean, the haters that are on this movie don't – maybe don't love him. But it's fun to watch because he so clearly is at least having fun. I mean, he's doing it. He's out there. And I like what he Schumacher said. Jim Carrey was a gentleman, and Tommy Lee Jones was threatened by him. I'm tired of defending overpaid, overprivileged actors. I pray I don't work with them again. Oh, my gosh. Like, But uh, Tommy Lee Jones is one of his first picks because of The Client. So it's yeah. kind of funny his first picks, sort just of. Him. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Carrie wasn't the first, was he? I don't Tommy think he Lee Jones is the first person he asked, uh, according to that interview. Right, but I don't think Carrie was his first. I know Robin Williams was a big Oh, one. yeah, Robin Williams. And he kept saying, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then he didn't do it. All right. It's funny. Funny how that works out. But I guarantee you Jim Carrey added an extra $70 million to the box office. Oh, totally. And star power alone. Because this was – wasn't he coming off the mask? Yeah, coming off the mask. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was big, perfect. I mean, that's big business right there. And then this movie, though, this movie was a smash hit. Yeah, definitely so, was. I mean, this was a blockbuster at the time. So it's kind of – it is sort of fun. I do like when poorly reviewed movies or reviled movies make a ton of money uh, because it does – it kind of creates a – Fun. Oh, this movie sucks. Yeah, well, it made $855 million. Yeah. It's a, it's a cultural conflict, right? Because this is what they were sort of discussing in the Charlie Rose interview, right? Which was this idea that movies have to be a certain thing, and the, the public comes along and decides, no, it's this. This is what I want from entertainment. And you're sort of getting these critics that are either seen as out of touch or completely miscalibrating the value of a movie these days. So it is an interesting uh, clash, I would agree. He did call this movie a... Pop culture opera. I don't know about opera, but yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I could see where he's going with that. So, all right. So, at the end of the day, would you recommend this movie? I mean, that's such a generic question. Who to who to? I would say yes. On the whole, I would. Um, especially if you're a Batman fan, because it is such a weird hodgepodge of just I don't know. It, it's thematically uh, just it's corrupt, really. I mean, you're talking about something that's not consistent in the least. So, if nothing else. I think anybody's be able to walk away from saying, uh, look at this and say, like, uh, this is what I don't look for in, in a superhero movie. But uh, apart from Batman and Robin, there really aren't too many movies like it. Yeah. Even in the superhero space, even the ones that don't do too well, because it's just so fanciful with itself. And somebody wrote that if this wasn't a Batman movie, if this was like a regular superhero movie, it would have been forgotten about immediately. What do you think? I mean, it's hard to say because these characters, to me at least, are very iconic. 
especially in comics. So yeah. you're, you're talking about removing every character beside it, not just Batman. And yeah, I guess if you're looking at it that way, because it doesn't really have much of a plot, right? Everything to do with the plot. I guess you're looking at Batman reconciling to be Batman forever or leave it behind, which he does like for a hot minute. Three seconds. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, and then you've got like the Riddler wanting to take everybody's credit card information yeah. through his box and... You know, who the hell knows what the motivations for Two-Face are? I guess it's just revenge, which, by the way, reminds me, um, you know, his motivations are cloudy. I think we all know that he just wants to kill Batman. I think that's it. But what's interesting, and you probably remember this, the opening scene of the movie was very different, um, and this was cut, and you can find it on YouTube. But the opening of the movie uh, was set to start at Arkham Asylum, which is actually the single best thing that this movie introduced, because before this, we didn't really have we didn't have an iteration of Arkham Asylum on, on, on screen. You know, we had it in the animated series, but it hadn't really shown up in the in the earlier Batman movies. So the movie opens in, in Arkham Asylum, and it's, you know, rainy, stormy night. And it's really ominous, and uh, you sort of get this idea that there's been a breakout. And you follow the doctors, the wardens or whatever, into Harvey's cell, and you find a guard, like, hanging from a ceiling fan. And... Uh, in blood. And I got this from the graphic novel because the graphic novel included it. They didn't know it was going to be deleted from the movie. So they filmed this and it's on, on the internet. And, 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 and Tommy Lee Jones's two faces, sorry, uh, wall has in blood, the bat must die. So right off the bat, you understand his motivations. And I guess they either thought it was too grim or maybe unnecessary, but I, I, I think it was sick. I thought it was really dark. And maybe it was too dark for that tone, but that was definitely on the cutting room floor. And, and again, you can easily find that on the internet. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I would, no, it really is. I would have rather have just like the blunt force tactics of Tommy Lee Jones against Batman. That would have been a better movie for me. Focus more on him. Uh, give Sugar and Spice more to do. I, <laughs> I mean, I do like that the Riddler wanted to steal credit card information by kind of uh, technology. So he was kind of like a, a hacker or getting into people's sure. accounts so i mean what you know, it was ahead of its time adam this ahead movie this movie said hacking was going to happen by technology didn't it didn't beat hackers yet did it uh hackers was 96 and this oh was 96 God, hackers no batman forever was 95 oh yeah so yeah hackers was 96 wow i'm telling you the box no it's a cone it's a cone, <laughs> with, like, it's a cone with like sand in it i don't know what the deal is all right oh no hackers was 95 too it was released oh, wow. in. I mean, it was released in September fifteenth. Uh, Batman was released before then. Yeah. So, oh yeah, was, Batman still beat Hackers. The year of hacking, huh? It beat it by uh, three months. The that was year. a good year. And the net probably came out that year. Did the net come out in ninety five? Uh, I don't. Did, did it? I, don't I know. think that was ninety six. Mm. Let me see the net movie ninety five. Oh, the year of the hacker. Great year. Great year for computers and technologies. All right. So uh, hey, any final thoughts before we, uh, we we head out of here? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I always love these movies. It's Batman after all. It's like pizza. They're never really truly bad. But it's definitely not Batman Return. Or excuse me, not Batman Robin. But um, I think there is something to, to witness in the spectacle of just how bizarre this movie is. And for all the good and the bad um opinions people hold for it in, in terms of the quality i do think we can all agree that it's probably just a very strange movie because it was <laughs> much on a stage we're coming off the burton movies of grim and dark and melancholy and into something very squarely commercial kid-friendly 
and quite literally writer. So, yeah, I think, you know, even in the history of textbooks for film, this is something of its own milestone for better or worse. I like what you said. Batman Forever is a very strange movie. And that's why I like it. That's fun. That's a good way to end. So, hey, man, uh, what are we going to do next? What do you want to do next? Oh, geez. I don't know, but I got to tell you, I think I, I told you already I, I saw Hereditary, and I was floored. And I don't know if that warrants its own episode, but, man, I'm, it stays with me. If you want to if you want to get it off your chest, man, I'll, I'll happily uh, talk about Hereditary with you. We'll see how much I still have to say about it. Gotcha. I feel like these days it's uh, me raving about Hereditary or Marie Kondo. And boy, those are two different audiences. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where I'm at in the next few weeks. I really want to push your buttons on Hereditary because I'm not the biggest fan of it. So it'd be fun to oh. get y'all. It'd be fun to get y'all worked up. I got buttons to push. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you for coming on, man. So uh, thanks uh, for having me. Yep. So for me, Mark Hoffmeyer, and for Adam Clement, this is Movies, Films, and Flicks. We'll see you next week. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.